Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. Late in December, at the last meeting of Coburg Council prior to Christmas, a delegation from the Northumberland Sleeping Cabin Collective presented a proposal to build 12 units and supporting services on Furnace Street next to the old Memorial Arena. The proposal will cost about a quarter of a million dollars. This includes the construction of the cabins plus the operating costs for a six-month pilot project. The money will come from fundraising and contributions from the people living in the cabins. There's a lot in this report, and addressing homelessness is a complex issue. On today's show... Megan Sheffield, a volunteer for the Collective, will unpack this proposal in detail. I'm so pleased to have with me today Megan Sheffield, a volunteer with the Northumberland Sleeping Cabin Collective. Welcome back to Consider This. Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be back. Before we get too far, for those who might not know, what is a sleeping cabin? Yeah, so uh, a sleeping cabin, um, as we've proposed it, um, is an approximately 8 by 10 cabin that is um, heated and insulated with a bed and space for um, some belongings, um, where a person who is currently um, chronically homeless and um, living unsheltered would be able to make their home. Um, and, uh, there would be, we envision a, a kind of village of 12 of these, um, cabins with, um, a set of shared kitchen and washroom and, um, you know, in an ideal world, laundry facilities that are, um, shared among the community, but each person has their own private space in one of these small cabins. How big would a sleeping cabin be in terms of square foot? Yeah, each one is under 100 square foot. So um, if you look at an eight, eight by 10, you know, it's about 80 square feet. Okay. So, yeah, it's so it's um si- size of a, a, a normal bedroom or a, a, yeah, something like that's that. Right. Or a and kitchen. that's essentially what it is. It is it's a bedroom with um, space for storage, um, you know, a place to to put up shelves and and a mirror on the wall, a place to um, plug in electronic devices, um, but but not a whole lot else. Okay, now last month, the Northumberland Sleeping Cabin Collective presented a proposal to Coburg Council. You suggested 12 of these sleeping cabins be built and located on Furnace Street next to the old Memorial Arena and adjacent to the Curling Club. Now, let's start with why 12 sleeping cabins? Why not 10 or 8 or 15? Why 12? Yeah, I mean, you're right that it is somewhat arbitrary, just in that um, uh, any number of these would be um, an improvement um, for folks who are currently unsheltered in our community. Um, You know, based on the amount of space that was there and the kind of um, mock-ups of the site that our team was able to to do and and also the fact that we were coming with a proposal we we did think it was important to to settle on a number for the proposal um, and so that's that's what we landed on based on that particular site and our knowledge of the need currently in Northumberland. Now, earlier when you were describing things to me about the uh, proposal, you mentioned a number of additional things. Uh, I believe you said laundry and maybe a common kitchen uh, for preparing food, uh, uh, things like that. Uh, Can you just walk us through uh, how that aspect of it works and what you plan to provide uh, within this uh, sleeping cabin village? 
Yeah, sure. So, um, yes, the idea is that um, everyone there has access to these these um, basic human rights of of you know clean water and sanitation facilities, and um, as well as um, a shared space for preparing food. And um, we have seen these these shared facilities working well in some of the other sleeping cabin communities, um, including in Kingston and in Kitchener Waterloo. Um, in um, Kingston, they have this facility set up um, in a, um, a building and in Kitchener Waterloo, um, I believe they, they, some of their facilities are kind of in, in trailers and some are inside of the, uh, an adjacent building. And so um, right now, um, what we're looking at and sort of um, planning for is the likelihood of having somewhat mobile facilities and um, uh, washroom trailer, um, you know, facilities that are that are mobile and and can be moved from one spot to another and and serviced on site are have become like um, a pretty um, common thing and especially you can you can imagine at events a lot of people might have seen them like at you know at weddings these kind of like um, you know. A, a level up from a porta potty, um, and they're also um, frequently used at um, construction sites. And so this is a, you know, a mobile washroom facility that is like insulated and heated, and you know has electricity, um, but it's not a permanent facility. So that is one of the um, possibilities that we're examining for this site. Now, I, I just for the listeners' sake, so that we're absolutely clear, we're, when you say it's mobile, you're meaning that it's not hooked into the sewers or the water, is it, or or is it not? I, I I'm not a hundred percent clear on how does yeah, that work. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does get service. So, okay. um, I think that that likely, in an in an ideal world, if you were setting up something that was had a long term vision. Um, you would be, of course, um, plugging into those municipal services. Um, you know, that's just going to be long term, the best use of um, space and funds. And um, but um, at this point, we're looking at the at the mobile facilities. Um, now, why Furnace Street? Why did you pick there and not anywhere else? Yeah, well, we had looked at um this land inventory that um, Coburg town staff had prepared of sites around Coburg that are municipally owned that they um, thought fit um, a number of criteria to make them good candidates for um, affordable housing. And um, in this case, um, the site at Furnace Street was also, it was, it was designated as being um, uh, you know, a, a good spot for affordable, transitional, or emergency housing. Um, another, um, another thing that came to mind when looking for a site is um, the way that it would meet the practical needs of the residents um, who were to live in the village. And so for, um, you know, to access any number of services and, um, you know, uh, anything that, that a person might need without a vehicle. Um, we, we were looking kind of at Elgin Street and South in Coburg. And so this, you know, this kind of fit in there in terms of access to pharmacies and grocery stores and, um, you know, government service buildings and that sort of thing. So um, there was that. And then the, the other piece was that the um, Canadian Firefighters Museum, which is um, going to be the next tenant of the former Memorial Arena. They had in their application indicated that um, they felt that their um, tenancy there would would actually be a good fit with affordable housing. And they sort of shared that goal and felt that their needs for parking, for example, wouldn't interfere with um an initiative to um, support affordable housing on the same location. And so that that felt like a lot of pieces falling into place. So um, I think that that that's the main the main reason that we decided to, um, you know, make this proposal for that site at this time. So what impacts do you think the project will have on the neighborhood? 
Yeah. I, well, one thing um, that I, I love to mention um, is that I actually live in this neighborhood. I live within about 200 meters of the Memorial Arena. And so um, when, it, you know, this very much is in my backyard and, and as a neighbor, um, I feel really good about having this um, uh, project right here in my, in my neighborhood in part, um, because I think that um, bringing more stability to more members of the community is going to have a collective um, improvement on, on, on well-being. And I think that, um, yeah, just as people, um, we know, you know, through research that, that being unhoused and um, with its associated um, impacts on people's um, mental and physical health, um, that people are put into really difficult positions and, um, yeah, can engage in in um, risky or criminalized behaviors. And so I think that as soon, um, as soon as someone has more stability, they immediately have a set of choices that, that were not there while they were unhoused and trying to survive outdoors. And so um, I think that that's, that's something that, that benefits everyone in the community. Um, also, we have been, um, you know, in terms of having conversations about this project with people who are currently unhoused, um, some of the folks who, who are interested in, in moving in and becoming residents of this project have, have lived in this neighborhood for a long time, have lived within just a few hundred meters of this specific site and um, lost that housing and have, um, you know, been surviving outside and and um and you know relying on um you know shelter services and that sort of thing to get by ever since but they they see this as um a homecoming so um yeah i think i think there's a there's a lot to that you know people have a lot of questions and um there is a lot yet to be seen in terms of um what this will actually look like and and how the neighborhood will be involved and um i do know that this is not you know this is not the first affordable or transitional housing um development to to you know to move into a residential neighborhood where there's already homes and businesses and well, um there's actually been a lot of research on that subject well i'd, I'd so, like to talk to you a bit more about yeah, that because sure. um tra transition house has had impacts on its neighbors and there were concerns raised in the past by the neighbors um, dealing with uh, people who are staying at Transition House. Now, have you spoken with people living in the neighborhood about your proposal? Um, I have not personally, no, we have not done um, specific consultation. And um, part of the reason for that is that um, the Ontario Human Rights Code actually um, has some governance when it comes to consultation on um, types of housing because um, basically because housing is a human right and, and people are entitled to housing without discrimination. Um, there are um, some there are some um, consultative processes that can lead to um, human rights violations. And so um, the um, Ontario Human Rights Council actually has advice for um, municipalities, for example, about how to um, engage those, um, engage community in ways that um, focus on um, areas of conversation that are, that are outside of um, that kind of discriminatory um, aspect. And so, um, yeah, I think I think it wouldn't also be appropriate to consult with a community until um, there is um, a better sense of of what will actually be happening or what site is in question. So, um, 
Yeah, I, I guess I mean, too, though. I mean, the municipality has its rules and 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 procedures, and I know that when there are certain things going on, there there are required public meetings. And I I just wonder, um, you know, as part of your process, if you had gone out, have you even talked to the, the curling club? I know it's adjacent to you as well in that area. Have you talked to them at at all, at all about what you're planning? Uh, no, we have not. I know we have um, been in conversation with the Firefighters Museum, but I don't think that we have been in touch with the Curling Club. We're we're a collective um, of about 10 members, so I, I can't say exactly who everyone has spoken to, but I don't think that we have um, had that conversation. I do know that long before our proposal was made, the, the town had designated this space as um, a good one for affordable transitional and emergency housing. And I do think it, it is important that, um, you know, le legitimate land use planning considerations be, be um, subject to public consultation for sure. Now um, it's it, conversations about like um, what sort of people might, might live in a given space aren't, aren't, aren't ideally up for discussion according to the Ontario Human Rights Code. You you make a case in your report that this proposal will enhance community safety. Can you explain how that works? In Northumberland, and and I, I would say in my experience, especially in Coburg, we have seen over the past couple of years uh, this dramatic increase in um, people experiencing homeless in a visible way. And I think that here we're 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 lucky in a way that that this um issue is still happening at a scale where um helping 12 people to come off of the streets and out of the bushes and out of the church alcoves for um minimally a six-month pilot project is going to make a it's going to make a big difference and it's really going to make an immense difference for those individuals and in their lives and their stability and well-being and I think it's also going to make a noticeable difference in the neighborhood and in the community as well um, I think that um, people living outside um, experience um, you know all kinds of, of harms and physical and mental health risks um, women are especially vulnerable um and in in every case um people people are faced with really limited choices and um and often um the lack of the lack of options can lead to um actions that affect other people in their community and so I think that um, having 12 members of our community who are currently outside and, um, and, and seeing those, those 12 people moved into a place of greater stability to have access to wraparound services that can help to address these mental and physical um, aspects of well-being, um, addiction counseling, harm reduction services, um, and just the, the safety and stability of, of having a safe, secure place to lay their head at night is um, something that is, um, I think, is very likely to have um, an improvement beyond just that village. And studies that have been done in um, other communities have, you know, on, on affordable housing initiatives have found um, that there's actually um, no, st no statistic, um, statistically significant evidence that supportive housing leads to increased rates of um, violent property, um, mischief or other types of crimes. And in fact, um, that um, future occupants of new affordable housing often already live in the neighborhood. So it's not going to, it's not, um, you know, there isn't some external um, population that's moving in. And actually in a study in Toronto, they found that crime rates went down and property values went up when people were in more secure housing. And so um, that's that's the project that we're working on. I live in this neighborhood and um, 
I'm thrilled about the idea that many of my neighbors could move from living outside in this neighborhood to in a more secure, stable, indoor situation. Okay, I, c I can imagine that some listeners might be hearing all this, and, and it, it certainly on one level makes a, a lot of sense, but we've witnessed vandalism in the public washroom on Albert Street, and there are people who talk about not wanting to go into the downtown because they feel unsafe. And as you say in your report, you state that this project can help reduce crime. So I guess the, the question becomes one as, is how, how, how does that actually work? I think, um, you know, we heard at Coburg Town Council from a delegate who lives um, in downtown Coburg and has spent a, a great deal of time um, watching the um, bus terminal there. And um, I think that she feels that um, a lot of inappropriate activity is happening in her neighborhood. And so I think... Um, I, and and as you say, people who live near Transition House, they they have certain concerns um, about about their experience there. Um, I'm sorry, I, I'm. Let, let me take it from another another yeah, point of view. Yeah, could you give me the question yeah, again? Yeah, no, think? no, yeah. no. I absolutely. Um, I I guess what I'm asking you is is you know you stayed in the report that it helps reduce crime, and 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 you've you've articulated that uh, already. But I I guess when I I think about and I'm sure listeners think about this maybe thinking about this as well is that you know you witness that there's been vandalism at the public washroom on Albert Street. And there have been people uh, for some time now um, in social media and at meetings, um, public deputations saying people they feel they don't it's not safe to go downtown because uh, they just don't they don't feel safe anymore. So I guess what I'm trying to ask you is, is that, you know, are, are is this project going to really reduce crime or is it really just going to move it somewhere else um, now to, say, the Furnace Street area? Or, you know, if it went somewhere else, that place. But I guess, you know, are we just are, are we just moving the problem or are we actually going to, to solve it or at least reduce it in the way that you're stating in your proposal? Yeah, I think I think what I would say to those concerns is that is that a washroom or a bus terminal is is not a home. Um, a downtown is not a home. You know, a church alcove is not a home. And that when when we create a safe space for people to be who have no other place to be, that makes other people safer. And so um, I think that uh, I do think that that more people will experience more safety, including the people who we know are most vulnerable, who are the people who are living outside. Um, Overwhelmingly, research shows that that people who are unhoused experience um, the greatest levels of crime, and are, you know are are far more likely to be the victims of crime themselves than people who are housed. And so, I think that this will be an initiative that brings safety um, to everyone in Coburg. You state in your report that you've spoken with the police chief. Uh, does he back your contention that this effort will reduce crime? Um, I, I, I don't, I couldn't speak for the police chief myself. Um, I know, um, well, it says I in your report was, that you've spoken with him. Yes, we have. I can't say, you know, exactly his perspective on, on how this will affect, um, you know, crime in Coburg, but, um, I know he was glad to see that this is something other than an encampment. Okay. The, the police chief did hand in a report back in the summer when there were discussions around <laughs> allowing homeless people to use parks and other public spaces. And it said that it would cost between one hundred and two dollars and $150,000 per month in unbudgeted staffing expenses. Has, has this been addressed in your proposal? Yeah. I mean, I think that, that, um, 
that our 25 page report spends a lot of time describing um, the ways in which this is this is not an encampment and um, you know an illegal encampment that is that is unsupported that doesn't have you know um, access to basic things like like water and um, waste removal and those sort of things um, uh, you know has lots of issues and and um, is you know is generally not a, a, a safe place for for humans to live so um this this is not that this is um a supported um built community um that is is safe and secure and um well insulated you know right now we have folks who are living outside in Coburg this winter that don't have places to go and um, some of whom, you know, the warming room is not even an option. So um, just just the the idea that that some folks are living outside right now is um, a big motivator for us. And um, this is something that is that is totally different from an encampment. And um, I think that the, the both the police chief and the fire official that we um, have connected with so far were satisfied about that. Now, I know this grass gets mowed repeatedly, but I, I I would like to talk about it as well, because I think it's an important thing to discuss. And that is the, you know, Transition House has vacancies. It's also available. Um, they have monetary resources to supply hotel rooms for families and others. Um, these re resources exist. We just talked a moment ago about the warming room. You know, we've got we've got a warming room. And yet, at the same time, you're saying in the same breath, there are people that don't want to go there. Help us understand how this project that you're proposing is going to be different and and people will want to go there and we will be able to help people that are not using the services that are already existing. Yeah, I think that, first of all, I want to say um, Transition House has a really important role to play in, in our community. And um, certainly they, um, you know, as the only emergency shelter in the county um we need them and i appreciate what they're doing and i you know we, we wouldn't want to be um trying to look at this issue without them here um they yeah they do so much and also um we need more and different services and i think that um you know there's there's a feeling that that um, it can't just be, there's not just one alternative, there's not just one solution to um, this, you know, the complicated issue of housing affordability. Um, I think that there is um, a need for many different creative solutions. And um, the warming room certainly plays an important role, especially at this time where um, housing is so affordable, unaffordable in our community. And it's wintertime and people's um, lives are really at stake um, as a result of the weather. Um, I think it's, it's, it's a really important service. And um, as someone who has um, been present there in a volunteer capacity, um, I know it's also, it's also not ideal. And it, it's really challenging for people to um, be moving around with all of their belongings, packing up their belongings in the morning and carrying them around all day. Um, you know, just just the little things of being able to put your belongings down, um, to be able to, to go to bed in the same bed each night, these really like basic things. And to go to bed, frankly, in a room where you're alone rather than in a room of 10 or 15 other people. Um, you know, these are just, um, you know, things that, so many of us take for granted and, and expect as kind of a baseline of um, quality of life that a number of our neighbors are going without. And so um, we are not proposing the sleeping cabin village as, as the solution by any means. It is part of um, a spectrum of ideas and, and services that are um, hopefully, you know, hopefully more and more of these ideas will come out and hopefully there will be um, just the right fit for 
housing for each person and according to their, you know, really unique circumstances and needs and um, history. And yeah, so, so I would welcome, you know, f you know, even more of this um, type of ideating. Um, but for, for now, this is, this is the project that I'm involved with and um, yeah, that we see as um, not in competition with any of those current services, but, but just providing a different um, node on that spectrum of necessary housing interventions. How does this project meet some of the needs you describe in the report when it comes to support services or proximity to public transportation, um, groceries, food, medical, um, and so forth? Yeah, our hope in um, choosing or, or finding a location for this project was really focused on those day-to-day -day pragmatic um, needs. And um, that, you know, that's part of what we love about the Furnace Street location is that it does provide proximity to so many of those things and within walking distance, um, within um, access of, of public transit, as you say. And um, in an ideal world, we, we would have a some kind of setup that would allow people to access the electronic devices they need to be able to um, book that, that transit system here in Coburg. So um, yeah, that's an important part of it. We're also um, interested in connecting up with um, other services and supporting agencies who might want to um, provide kind of mobile outreach and, and um, come to this site as a hub, um, similar to, to the way some of these agencies already do with Transition House. One of the core values described in the proposal is substantial self-governance. Could you explain what that means? Yeah, that... Um, is really just about um, giving uh, space for uh, people to, um, the people who will live in the village to um, determine some of the rules, guidelines, guiding principles of, of this space where they're going to live and to make collective decisions and um, practice being neighbors together. I'd like to talk a bit about the budget that's in the proposal. Uh, you talk about raising $162,000 to cover capital expenses in the range of about $157,000. You also, in the, in the proposal, talk about an operating cost of $96,000. And all of this is, is for a six-month pilot. So the combined total cost is going to be about a quarter of a million dollars. That's a lot of money. Can you explain what that money is going to go towards and, and why it, it, it's just such a large amount? Yeah, so um, some of the, so much of these is about because it's a capital project, it's a building project. So um, the bulk of the of the project expense is in building the facilities. Um, and then, as you say, there is operational costs and um, some of those are, are the site services that we talked about in terms of um, the washroom facilities and um, waste removal, um, that sort of thing. There is um, uh, a plan to have um, like a site supervisor um, staff position. So that would be an expense as well. Um, our costs, interestingly, are very, very close to the county's cost for the overnight warming room that runs from December to March um, <clears throat> and and um, yeah so anyway that's just an interesting kind of correspondence there um, we have we have you know I don't think that we are um, underestimating the cost and I also don't think we're we're overestimating we've um, tried to be really realistic you know there's costs included in, in terms of what it might cost to dismantle the project entirely and um, to have like, you know, an, an, a possible end of, you know, so we build them and then we, you know, we may need to dismantle the project and move it elsewhere and that sort of thing. So 
Um, we've tried to build contingencies into this budget as well. You you mentioned already about the the cost of the warming room being a quarter of a million dollars as well. It it's rather surprising just how much all of this does cost. I mean, when you think about the the warming rooms, like what four months, and it's only at night, and um, there are some day services, I guess, offered as well. But your proposal is another quarter of a million dollars for six months. And the numbers are just astounding. And and no doubt these people need our help and deserve to be sheltered. But there may be some listeners who might wonder, is this the best use of money and resources? Yeah, I, th I, I mean, I certainly think that um, providing adequate, um, appropriate, affordable housing is is long term the best the best use of money that to um address this issue and um the problem is that's not available right now and in the meantime our neighbors are are outside and and living rough or um in and out of shelter services and um there's a lot of there's there's a price tag that comes with that for the society as well that is um you know not spelled out on a budget that's submitted for public review, um, but has, you know, certainly has been studied in the province of Ontario. And so, um, you know, this winter I have um, met with friends and tried to problem solve because they, um, they have trench foot. And so, um, yeah, one of our neighbors here in Coburg, um, tr you know, trying to, to figure out the best way to care for their feet without access to, um, you know, public, sorry, without access to running water, except for public washrooms and that sort of thing. And so the cost when it comes to ER visits, for example, is um, quite astronomical because, because of the physical toll of living outside. And um, the cost of, um, bylaw officers and a new bylaw safety enforcement truck to um, you know surveil and engage with people who are living outside um, that that comes with a price tag for the, for the community and so um, I think that that in the in the long run projects like this one um, that provide um, a stable space from which a person, would have it a chance to build a better life for themselves is actually um, uh, going to be a less expensive option than the sort of emergency responses that we're currently relying on to um, address unaffordable housing. I guess the question then becomes, you know, is it sustainable? Because you're only talking for six months. And I, I realize that there's the capital expenditure of creating the cabins, but you've got a, almost $100,000 of operational expenses. And and uh, if it was to, if it was to carry on. So um, is, is it sustainable in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I think our goal in terms of pitching a six month pilot project is um, to have the opportunity to prove that it can be successful. And um, that that um, success will lead to we um, there's a lot of energy both within the community and from um, different levels of government to that really um, see the benefits of this project and and the simplicity of it. Um, it you know, in spite of that that um, cost of the of the overall budget, the the concept and delivery is um, actually like pretty, pretty pared down. And so um, I think it is sustainable long-term. And I think that, that this will um, prove to be something that um, the community um, experiences the collective benefits of and, and will really get behind. I mean, there's no doubt that having 12 sleeping cabins is better than having none. But the, the last homeless enumeration report done by the county in 2021 showed that there was 166 people without permanent shelter. So how, first of all, is having 12 cabins 
addressing that in, in a meaningful way. And second of all, how are you gonna pick the people who are going to live there? Yeah, great questions. Um, I think that uh, that this is a little bit of the of the the starfish and the sea, you know, the old man in the sea with the starfish, um, where it makes a difference to each one, and so that's that's often a um, a driving motivation for me is that it does make a huge difference for for even one person to have a place um, that is that is safe and secure where they can lay their head each night and that that um, that has ripple effects for the community beyond that one person and so if it can be 12 individuals who are um, experiencing that stability and support then then all the better um, I think as, as I was saying I think that the scale of um, of homelessness in Coburg right now, is such that 12 people um, moving, you know, from chronic homelessness and, and living outside into um, this project, um, it will be noticeable, will be felt. I do think that that makes a difference. Um, the fact that there are so many people um, in, you know, on the county's um, point in time count is you know should be really motivating for all levels of government to be um, doing something really long term and um, to to you know to provide housing for everyone who lives here and um, to that note I will just add the the twelve people that we're talking about um, you know moving into um, the sleeping cabin village um, they would be all people who are from this community. There is sometimes a concern that, that the people who are living outside in Coburg are not, um, not from this, this area. And um, in, in my experience, in, in, in the experience of this collective, um, including the members of our collective who, who are living outside right now, um, we're, not seeing, we're not seeing that. We're not seeing people who are arriving from other communities instead it's people who um have have grown up here and um raised their children here been working here been renting here and um and now they're unhoused here and so um that's that's really motivating for me too to know that um as a community member and as part of a community something that we can do is is looking looking after the people in our community who need the help right now. So in terms of who is going to move into this village, um, <clears throat> I don't think that that is, we don't have a list at this point. Um, we are working with um, our organizational partner, Greenwood Coalition, um, and they their leadership will have kind of um, final say over um, the residents when the time comes. We have begun um, the process of meeting with what we're calling um, our community group or um, who are people who are currently unhoused and who have an interest in um, this project and, and think that it could be a good fit for them. And that's just about um, having regular meals together, talking about ideas, um, consulting on what could work or what couldn't and that kind of thing. Um, but at this point, we don't have um, a formal process in place and we don't um, have any promises to anyone that they will be getting um, a residence in part because um, we're still at the development stage of this and we're still in conversation with the town of Coburg about this particular location, that sort of thing. So um, it's something that is that is happening through both the organizational partner and through that um, community self-determination kind of piece. So how will the oversight of this project take place? In, in other words, uh, 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 I know you're working with Greenwood Coalition and the Northumberland Sleeping Cabin Co Collective uh, together on this. But are you going to be, in effect, landlords then? Or how, how does that work? Uh, my understanding is that this wouldn't be um, a landlord and tenant relationship, but rather it would be like program participants. Um, in a in a program um, 
that is being administered by Northumberland Saving Cabin Collective, which is a special project of Greenwood Coalition, and so is governed by their volunteer board. So um, Greenwood Coalition will handle like donations and tax receipts, um, fund distribution as well, and also the oversight of um, things like the finances and um, signing contracts and insurance, that sort of thing, but but won't actually be a formal landlord. Okay, so how, how does it work then and say, for example, somebody's uh, causing a problem? I, I can't imagine what problem that might be, but say somebody was causing a problem to an extent that maybe people are feeling that they shouldn't be there. I mean, is it is it the same as a landlord? Do they get evicted or is there some disciplinary thing that happens or how does that kind of thing? I mean, when you get people living together, there's always you know certain tensions. So how do, how do those things get dealt with if it's not a landlord tenant thing? Yeah, so um, there would there will be formal processes in place, and those are not set in stone at this point. Um, we do have, uh, you know, sort of a, a management and governance structure that is um, formalized, but in terms of the actual procedures. But certainly, um, there will be uh, agreements that that members are asked to. Um, agree to, to make with each other upon moving in. And um, although, you know, although housing first is a, is a really important value for this project. And I think we all <clears throat> really, you know, we'd hate to see it. Ultimately there, you know, there would be some um, option in place in terms of if there was a need to remove someone. <coughs> How do you feel the project is progressing? I, I know when you made your presentation to council there uh, last month, the, the town was warning about the time it's taking them to respond to this and, and uh, the processes that they have to go through. So how do you, how do you feel that it's moving forward in, in that forum? Yeah, certainly we understand um, that municipal staff are hardworking people who have many projects on their plate and um, we we re really appreciate actually the the um, efforts that town staff have put into um, this conversation so far, and we look forward to meeting them early in January, and um, you know to have that um, pre development con sorry development pre -cons consultation meeting that was part of the um, motion that passed at council. So. Um, I think that we feel optimistic. We, you know, we feel like there's really great people at the table at the town of Coburg. And certainly um, our collective has been really working hard on making this a reality. Um, and so I think that, um, yeah, we would be delighted to see this as part of our New Year's resolutions of 2023 to see this come to fruition this year. Well, I guess, you know, we just lived through a, a rather horrible storm and, and saw how brutal winter can be. And there are people that are continuing to live unsheltered. How quickly do you want to see this get into place? I mean, is this something that we're going to see any any result on this winter? Or is this something that, um, you know, we're thinking farther down the road and, and maybe into the summer or fall uh, 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 later in the year? Well, I know that there are, uh, you know, other partners, including the town of Coburg, who who have a role to play here. And so um, what I would say is we would hope for the sooner the better because our, our neighbors and our collective members are um, having, you know, having to suffer through a Canadian winter with um, very few options and, um, yeah, we would love to see something safer and more stable as soon as possible. So what um, are next what so what are next steps then for you? Um, our next step is is preparing for and attending that that meeting with um town of Coburg um development staff and and to um, begin that that process of, of looking at this particular site and um, 
what, you know, what the site needs are and um, what our responsibilities are as, um, as an organization and um, yeah, to see if that's the right spot. Safety is our number one, you know, and, um, and, you know, that drives the whole thing. And so we think that this is a safer and better alternative to a tent. And we wanna make sure that that's the case. Um, we would love to have it, you know, a, be a really a well-functioning, successful project. And so we do understand that that takes time. And um, that's, what, that's what our next steps are basically is, is to look into um, making this a reality on this site at Furnace Street. Um, uh, and step one, we'll be meeting with the town staff early in January. We have a date set and we're looking forward to that. Megan Sheffield, I want to thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you so much, Robert. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for your interest. That was Megan Sheffield, a volunteer with the Northumberland Sleeping Cabin Collective. Sheffield noted after the interview that the group has spoken to the Curling Club using the Jack Heenan Arena, which is adjacent to the proposed Furnace Street site. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.